Hi, friends. These are unprecedented times for our country, and so we're doing something unprecedented with the surgery set. We will be suspending our normal calendar and instead bringing you frequent short stories from the pandemic, as recorded from my home office as we practice social distancing. So, yes, that is a toddler you hear in the background. I want to tell you what we're seeing here in Madison and check in with friends across the country who are facing this moment in history from the front lines. I want you to hear what we're doing, and I want to hear from you about your experiences. Things are happening fast, events are unsettling to say the least, but we're all in this together. Social distance does not mean social isolation. I want this podcast to be a place that you can look not just for information, but for solidarity, for unbridled goodwill, and for Netflix recommendations. So look for frequent updates as we navigate this new world together, and please do keep in touch. From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. I just got off the line with Jeff Potoff. He's an emergency and flight medicine physician here at UW-Madison, who's also our chief quality officer and who is leading our preparedness planning for COVID-19. We talk about social distancing, what it really means, and how to do it right. We talk about testing, where it's been and where it's going. And we talk about how to prepare your own place for what is probably inevitable with this outbreak. Let's go to Jeff. Dr. Potoff, welcome to the surgery set. Thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is an incredibly busy schedule to catch us up on the latest news coming out of the COVID pandemic. I'm I'm excited to hear from you what we should be thinking about and what we should be doing, both as citizens and as physicians and providers to help during this really unprecedented time. Right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what we can do as individuals, regardless of our medical training, and that is social distancing. Talk about what that means and how do we implement that? And how do we help and, and, and talk to our patients about, about being safe in the community? Yeah, I think, I mean, social distancing sounds simple enough, but it's actually really hard to do. So the idea is, in its purest form, is that we're avoiding contact with other individuals. Kind of the, the technical definition is that we try to stay at least six feet away from the next closest individual. There's places where this is easy, right? So I don't have to go to the basketball game. I don't have to go to the movie theater. It gets a little bit harder when you talk about, you know, can't go out to a restaurant because maybe that was something you had in mind or you ain't got anything to eat in the house. Then it gets even harder when you talk about, well, what am I supposed to do in the grocery store? Like there's no grocery store in town where I can stay six feet away from someone else. So I think those are the gradations and we have to use some common sense around it. But certainly for those things that are purely elective and just entertainment, I think the time is now where where we stop doing that. And I think as as healthcare professionals, we have to model the way. So I think this is one period of time where we can't, you know, say do this and then not do it ourselves. We do know reading our, our social media feeds and things like that, there's a healthy group of the population that thinks that this is just a gross overreaction that we're being way too aggressive, but we know that when it comes to these infectious diseases and once we lose containment, our only approach is social distancing and, you know, the good hand hygiene and things like that. So I think we'll we'll know if we're successful because the naysayers will say, look, like you had shut down everything and not that many people died or had a bad outcome. And, And I think that's how we will know that we were successful. Right. Like the best case scenario for us is that we'd be accused of having a real overreaction, right? Then we know we've succeeded. Right, because if we, if we flatten that curve, 
then it won't seem like such a big deal. I think uh, what will be lost on a lot of folks is that it, it could have been a lot worse, but I think that's kind of our role is to change our message from you know containment and travel to really it's here, it's everywhere. And this idea, the other thing I hear a lot about is you know the uh, individuals who are over the age of 60 who have comorbid conditions, those are the ones that need to practice social distancing. And, and certainly they do, but those of us who are young and healthy, the, the more often we are out and about, the more of us uh, are gonna be carrying this around. And, and just by simple math, that will mean more people who are high risk getting the disease. So the social distancing isn't just for those who are high risk. It really needs to be something that, that we all practice. One thing I saw on Twitter was, you know, this is not a snow day, right? Like you, you need to think about this as really distancing yourself from people, not just taking the day off to go to the gym or go to the like playground even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to my wife and my kids are home from school right now and everyone's getting a little bit stir crazy. And they were like, well, you know, can we have you know, a few friends over and have like a little bit of a party and we'll make sure they don't have sniffles. And it seems innocent enough, but I was like, you know, probably not, not the time to do that. Not, not, a, not a snow day, not a, a get together with friends day. But with that said too, you know, I've also heard people say, well, can I open the door? And what if my windows are open? Can I get sick? And, and clearly that's not the concern. So I do think it's probably a good idea to, you know, try to get outside and maybe go for a walk, obviously not in a crowded area, but hiking trail or go for a run or take a bike ride. Those things are all safe and provide uh, some activity because this is hard to do if you're just going to, you know, stay inside. Uh, it's just people aren't, aren't built for that. Yeah. I found that we're calling all sorts of old friends we haven't talked to in forever, you know, right. like getting them on FaceTime and like finding an opportunity to make this a, a time to connect. Yeah. I was listening to one of our behavioral health specialists and they said exactly that. So social distancing doesn't mean social isolation. It just means you need to think of different ways that you can do that. So, you know, FaceTime, phone calls, Things like that are, are probably some tools that we have to try to keep connected with the people in our lives that are important, but not necessarily invite them over for a dinner party. One thing that, that struck me as I've sort of seen pictures of people out at bars and just sort of enjoying themselves, you know, with this sort of attitude of, oh, this is just a flu. This is just, you know, kind of a serious illness. It, it, I won't get that sick. The overwhelming feeling I have, you know, as a physician, the thing that terrifies me about this particular disease is the numbers are such that if a lot of people get this, you know, it may not be that you as a 20 something person get super sick, but if you as a 20 something person crash your car and go to a hospital where there are no operating rooms and no ventilators available because they're all taken up with COVID patients, like you're also going to be in trouble. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And I think it's a, it's a, an interesting parody that in a time in our country where we're probably the most divided, this pandemic comes along and requires us all to unite, kind of irrespective of um, our beliefs or what we think, like we're all in this together. Right. I mean, this is, a, this is an opportunity for us to really come together as a nation. And I've seen this sort of floating around, you know, like our grandparents were, you know, charged with going to foreign lands with machine guns to defend our country. Like we're asking people to sit on the couch and watch Netflix more. Step up. This is you can do this. Yeah. I think the other thing that I see a lot. Uh, so in medicine, and I bias, right? But I think we we get numbers a little bit better. So to the general public, when we talk about a mortality rate of two to three percent, they're like, well, that doesn't seem so bad. But but what they're failing to do is is you know take the the population of our county, so a half million people or more, and then take two or 3%, that number starts to get really big. So I, I don't know how we can do a better job messaging that, but uh, I feel like the urgency of it is a little bit lost because the number doesn't seem that bad compared to other things, right? Like uh, if the store gives me two, two and a half percent off of something, I'm not overly impressed, but 
if a disease takes out two and a half percent of the population, that's a big deal. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's get into one of the other bigger topics that I know is a huge question for people, and that's testing. Kind of what can you just tell us? Kind of what's the the status of testing, and and what can we expect in the next few days around our ability to test? Yeah, so this is a great question, and talking from someone who's worked with the incident command here at UW Health, the testing issue is is one of our top concerns. So. Um, initially, when the CDC had the test, they had created tests to send to state labs that could be validated and would be used for testing. Uh, and those first test kits that came out, there's very few states that could get them validated. So uh, that set us up a little bit because we got a little bit behind. They had to go back, redo those kits, and then we had them, uh, and we have the ability to test at the Wisconsin State Lab of Hygiene and the lab in Milwaukee. But uh, initially, they could run 100 tests a day, and they were, you know, guaranteeing a 48-hour turnaround time, which maybe sounded good initially, but what's happening is we have a lot of healthcare workers who are coming down with URIs, which is not uncommon at all, especially given the influenza season, there's colds. We think some of those could be COVID-19. We don't want healthcare workers working if they have a cold or a sniffle because a catastrophe that would be me giving this to a bunch of my patients while I'm working in the ED wouldn't be great. So we've been pretty uh, liberal on testing healthcare employees but once we test them, we don't necessarily have them uh, back in the workforce until that com- test comes back. And if that takes, you know, two or three days, all of a sudden I got this workforce issue where I don't have enough people in there. So it's caused us to have to try to figure out, like, who do we who do we test? And that's been a little bit in conflict with, you know, what we're hearing from the government, who's like anyone who wants a test can get one. But the reality of it is we've been trying to prioritize tests, you know, first for healthcare workers, because we're worried about our workforce and we're worried about giving it to other patients. So that's kind of been our top priority. The next priority is patients who are under investigation. So we have a number of individuals who we are testing who are inpatient. And most of them, we haven't had a positive yet, but uh, the concern with that is every day that they're inpatient and we have them listed as a person under investigation, we're burning through a ton of PPE. So every time anyone goes in that room, it's a whole new set of PPE. We don't have aggressive stocks of PPE, and we're told that China's not gonna make a whole lot more until June or July. So we're pretty worried about how quickly we're burning through our, our PPE. And that's why you heard all the public messaging around wearing masks and things like that. And then uh, the third area for testing then starts to become high-risk individuals in the community, so those that might do poor if they had the disease. And then last is kind of like the run-of-the-mill individual in the community who probably meets kind of trigger criteria for could have COVID-19, but they're otherwise healthy, they're doing okay. It's just like mild flu or cold and they would they would isolate in the home anyways. We wouldn't necessarily change treatment. Those folks are lowest on our list, but we would like to test some of those because it'll give us a true idea of how prevalent the disease is in the population. So the good news is, is that we do have labs or, or vendors that are developing tests, getting the approvals from the FDA. And we do think that in the next week or so, we'll have significant capacity to do testing. And for us at UW Health, and I imagine for other folks, that's a real game changer. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think that's always the question that I'm getting from you know, my concerned relatives who are reaching out to me right. as a, you know, someone who like takes out appendixes of children, which is, is uh, this is not my area of expertise, but like the question is always like, wh- wh- where are the tests? And so it's really, it's yeah. cool to hear they're, they're coming online. For our listeners who are healthcare oriented folks, and I know a lot of the people who listen uh, to the podcast are in healthcare, what recommendations do you have about getting smaller facilities? Obviously we have the benefit of multiple hospitals and the ability to sort of triage patients around town. But for a, a single hospital that's in a community that is anticipating this or starting to see cases, 
any tips and tricks you can give us from your now weeks of, of preparing UW? Yeah, there's a bunch of things to be mindful of. I think one of the things, and it's, it's harder based on your facilities, but you want to separate out your URI patients from your general population. So what sometimes gets lost on us is COVID-19 isn't the only medical problem out there yet. We still have all these other patients to take care of. If we look at the Italian experience, one of the things we're hearing back from them, and, and now Washington State too, is that you really want to separate out your individuals with URI symptoms from those who do not. So uh, that applies throughout the system. So in the emergency department, you probably should be trying to figure out how do we have a separate process for URI patients, some of those which will screen positive for COVID screening versus, you know, broken bones, lacerations, abdominal pain. And then on the inpatient, when you're trying to figure out where are you going to house these individuals, initially it was a bit trickier because there were airborne precautions. So we had to figure out how we we're going to supply N95 and have negative pressure in all those rooms. That's changed now, as you probably know. It's droplet precaution. But what we've tried to do is identify specific wards or units that would be solely dedicated to um, COVID patients to keep your staff kind of cohorted too. So you don't have a whole bunch of different staff that might get exposed that could deplete your workforce. And then you don't have as many areas that you're trying to do a lot of the isolation that you need to do for, for these individuals. So I think separate out people as much as you can. Uh, I'd say from our experience, if I had to pick the one thing that is most likely to threaten your response plan, I don't think it's actually space to put patients and I don't think it's ventilators and tools. I think what will get us will be staffing. We're already seeing issues with staff who uh, come down with the URI. They're going out. We're worried that the R0 of COVID is pretty high. So it's not that I think that they're going to get sick in the healthcare environment. In fact, I think it's the opposite. We have good PPE. Our staff know how to do it. I think they can protect themselves in the healthcare environment. But a significant portion could very well get COVID-19 outside of the healthcare environment. And then how do I ensure that I've got an adequate staff uh, or an adequate number of, you know, doctors, nurses, techs to take care of people. So what we're trying to do is we're working with uh, GME to figure out how we can maximize learners. So whether you're a resident or a medical student, how, how can we maximize their potential? And then uh, at the same time, as we think about scaling back other services, whether it be elective office appointments in the procedure surgical world, as we scale that back, um, who are physicians who probably have the skill set who could manage COVID patients? but typically wouldn't, that we could do emergency credentials for, and then just build this huge workforce of doctors and nurses who could take care of these patients. So we've done a lot of work with that, where um, you know anesthesiologists, some of the surgeons could easily become critical care docs. A lot of our primary care docs in the clinics can easily become generalists. A lot of our fellows, we could kind of make do with them taking on a little bit more responsibility uh, under some uh, supervision to really build the workforce that we're going to need uh, if, you know, we have something happen like it's happening in Italy. Now, hopefully I don't need any of that stuff, but I think it would be a little bit foolish to not plan for a worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's, again, comes back to that same argument, right? Like do your field promotions and, and, and be ready for the worst and hope that everybody accuses you of being wildly overprepared, right? Yeah, I know. All right. Well, it's, it's great to talk to you from this distance. I feel, uh, I feel safe through the screen yeah. um, having this conversation. And, and uh, I'm going to go back to enjoying time at home, you know, unexpected time with my kids, which is awesome. Before we go, just, you know, tell us, like, what, obviously you are helming a large institution's response to an unprecedented thing, or at least, you know, not, yeah. not precedented in the last hundred years. What are you doing for yourself to, to stay sane out there? So it's, this is really interesting, right? From a professional standpoint, I've never had to do anything like this. No one ever has. I think the thing that motivates me the most right now is I have this, this whole organization, hundreds of employees, 
some of the brightest minds that I've met from all different disciplines, medicine and facilities and, you know, finance people, which I don't know much about that, but they certainly do. And we have singular vision, singular purpose. Everyone is super motivated. And we have done things that people would say are unimaginable for an organization on our side. We took an internal medicine clinic and turned it into a screening testing center in like 14 hours. Like that's impossible. Like we could never have done that, but everyone came together and they totally pulled it off. So uh, the, the fact that I've got so many good people working in concert and they're doing such incredible things, it makes it a fair bit easier to just keep coming back every day and, and doing this. So, I mean, hats off to the team. This isn't, this isn't me. This is this is everyone else. Just really cool to see that. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I do think, you know, much as we are a polarized country, like this may be the sort of thing that reminds us we're actually not so different and we're actually all in this together. And um, thank yeah. you so much for all the work that you're doing uh, leading you us bet. through this. And I hope to have you back on soon to hear a, a status update, hopefully of things going in all the right directions. That sounds good. I want your Netflix recommendations once you've had time to watch a bunch of shows, okay? Oh, absolutely. We're going to build a list. Keep all listening. Right. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to Jeff Potoff for taking the time to join us. We'll hope to check in with him again soon. In the meantime, I want to hear from you about what you're experiencing and maybe have you on the podcast to tell your story. You can email me at Kohler, that's K-O-H-L-E-R, at surgery.wisc.edu, or send me a message on Twitter where I'm at J-E Kohler. I'm trying to retweet helpful things about COVID there as well, along with the rest of the internet, it seems. Be safe out there, my friends, and remember that we're all in this together, and we'll all get through this together. My first Netflix recommendation, by the way, is Schitt's Creek. The first season's a bit of a slog, but then it really picks up, and there's not a virus in sight. I'll be back with more soon. Take care. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in, and if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Wisc Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.